Word of our Lord from the book of Acts. Then those who gladly received Peter's word were baptized. And that day, the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. Many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together and had all things in common. In fact, they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that you'll bless it to our hearts. Pray that you'll bless it to our lives. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. So many people are lonely. We live amongst lonely people. We ourselves from time to time find ourselves to be Lonely people. Many of our neighbors are lonely. Loneliness is a a very typical part of the human experience. In fact, loneliness reminds us that we are created in God's image. Because in loneliness, we recognize a void or something that is missing. And that is community. We were created in God's image to be communal people, to live in relationship with others. One of the richest relationships that is um, a part of the human experience is that of friendship. And friendship is an often forgotten theme of the Scriptures. But thankfully, fortunately for us, the Bible has a lot to say about friendship. We often forget about friendship and its rich uh, depths that are found in the Scriptures. We uh, do ourselves well to remember Enoch way, way on back, early on in Genesis, who we're told walked with God and one day he simply was not. We learn about Abraham who was called a friend of God. Someone who had a deep and abiding friendship with Yahweh in the Old Testament. We read of Moses who spoke with God and met with Him face to face, nose to nose. And of course, we often think of the disciples, the twelve, as students of Jesus. But we do ourselves well to remember that they were friends of him, especially those three, Peter, James, and John, the inner three, the inner circle, those three that spent even more time, more, more close knit time with Jesus. The Bible has an awful lot to say about friendship, and that's a good thing because if we're not careful, we find ourselves to be lonely, and loneliness, solitude is a good thing, 
Loneliness is not. Solitude is something that we can choose to, to grow in, something we can choose to develop in. Sometimes it's good for us to pull away for a season. It's good to have a quiet time. It's good to have a quiet place. But loneliness is a condition that the Scriptures offer us a remedy to heal in relationships. Primarily in friendship. There are special characteristics of the early church and we read about them especially here in the book of Acts and in, at the end of chapter 2 here in the book of Acts. We read, we read a, a, a small snapshot of what that early church's characteristic life looked like. And its life was characterized by a number of things. I want to highlight three of them very quickly as we move on into this idea of friendship. One of the characteristics of the life of the early church was a, a, a deep and abiding spiritual vitality. We read that they worshipped, they studied, they prayed, and they went to temple together. In fact, they went daily to temple, it tells us, in the earliest days of the church. But there was a, a, a deep and rich and, and strong and rooted spiritual vitality that characterized the life of the early church. They were not just deeply spiritual, they were deeply religious in a right and holy and good way. Another important characteristic that characterized the life of the early church is they had a, a, a deep and um, holy measure of doctrinal responsibility. Now, responsibility I use very purposefully Instead of what I originally thought would be uh, doctrinal seriousness. But responsibility is more than just seriousness. Because responsibility speaks of a, a true sense of duty and honor. They gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They gave themselves to study. They gave themselves to, to growing and to proclaiming right doctrine. Doctrine was not just an add-on for them. It was the message of the gospel that they were proclaiming to the world. And they held to the apostles' doctrine. It was a, a fundamental characteristic of their early life. But another characteristic that you could perhaps say was really the whole context of their early life was radical community. I use the word radical purposefully, not to inflame political mindsets or ideological shifts or anything like that, but to remind us that they were not only just serious about community, they were willing to make changes to their lives, changes to their behaviors, changes to their habits in order to live in community together. It's good as a congregation every once in a while to be reminded of our values. And the first thing that we say we value is relational community. Beyond just the mere hellos of Sunday mornings. Beyond just the mere handshakes and neck hugs. We want to live in community together. We want to actually build relationships together. 
And so it's important that we share meals and have fellowships and potlucks. It's important that we meet together in small groups. It's important that we do as the book of Hebrews urges us, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, but gathering regularly. Because community is a part of who we are. But it's not just a part of who we are, as though it was a nice, clever value to have as a congregation. Community is a part of who God's people are. It's a part of who the early church was. It's a part of reflecting God's image in our lives. Living in community. If you'll allow me to uh, do a little bit of teaching this morning, I want to... Open up, open up to you a, uh, a word that's an important Greek term. It's the term koinonia. And koinonia is, is used in a couple of different uh, ways here in these few verses that we read this morning. But it's also a, uh, a, a driving um, image uh, throughout the life of the early church. And koinonia means community. It means fellowship. It means togetherness. It's, it's what binds the disciples together when it says that they were of one accord or that they were of one mind. Koinonia is about sharing life together. It's about the true meaning of the term friendship. Because friendship goes beyond being mere acquaintances with others. If you want to think of the metaphor that's used for Enoch in his relationship with God, if you want to think of walking, the difference between fellowship or friendship and acquaintances is it's the same difference that you have with walking near someone and walking with someone. You're walking near someone, you may or may not even know them, you may not know their name. But you're near them, you're in proximity to them. Perhaps you might be coincidentally heading in the right, the same direction. But you're not walking with them. To walk with someone speaks of being in purpose together. Purposefully headed in the same direction. Perhaps sharing in conversation. Perhaps working together. You're on mission together. You're walking with them. And koinonia is not about simply living near one another or beside one another, being neighbors to one another, but instead it's about being neighborly. It's about being friends, living in genuine relational community together, fellowship, togetherness, being of like mind, on the same page, of one accord. Friendship, you know, is different than family. Perhaps um, in the, the, the family language, perhaps the closest thing we can get to that image of friendship is the idea of adoption. Because in adoption, you're not naturally born into the family. Instead, you're brought in. And like adoption, friendships are willfully purposefully and intentionally chosen. They're special. You don't choose your brother or sister. 
You don't choose your mom or dad. You don't choose your kids. You choose your friends. In fact, as kids, typically how we choose our friends is we say, Hey, my name's Adam. What's your name? Oh, your name's John. John, you want to play together? Be my friend? And typically, the next time you see that friend as a kid, you say, Hey, John! Hey, what are you going to be doing later? Kids are able to develop friendships very naturally. It's a shame we adults aren't more like them. But friendships are different than families. They're chosen. They're special. The formation of friendships seem to occur naturally. We express that when we say things like, well, we just hit it off. You know, we like the same things. We laugh the same jokes. We go to the same places. They, they seem to naturally form. But the development of friendships happens only intentionally. We see that unfortunately expressed when we regrettably say, well, we haven't spoken in years. Because friendships develop only with intentionality. Only when we purpose ourselves to develop them do they really develop. In fact, neglect in a friendship leads to the separation of friendship, to the dissolving of friendship where it's not what it used to be. Interestingly enough, when we consider our spiritual lives, when we consider the work of God in our lives, friendship tends to play an important role in conversion, in discipleship, and in evangelism. Which makes sense because Jesus welcomes us as friends. You remember the accusation against the Christ in the Gospels is that he's a friend of sinners. Look at him hanging out with those tax collectors, those harlots. Look at the type of people he surrounds himself with. You remember on Monday, Thursday, Jesus' last night with his disciples, he told them that they were his friends. He said, you're, you're not my servants. Because a servant doesn't know what his, what his master is doing. Instead, I have disclosed myself, my plans to you. You are my friends. And through friendships, God is always drawing us to Himself. Most of us are coming to Christ was influenced by friendships. Perhaps a friend in the youth group. Perhaps a, an important friend, a, an important relationship we made when we attended church for the first time. 
Perhaps we you know, were born and raised in the church, but at some point along the way, we might have drifted away. And it was friendships that were there to help as we were being drawn back in. Perhaps we never really fell away. Typically, there are a lot of friends at work there. As we grow in Christ, our discipleship, our being rooted in Him, we find friendship to be of the utmost importance. It's friends who keep us accountable. It's friends who encourage us. It's friends who challenge us. It's friends with whom we grow. It's friends that we serve in ministry with. It's friends that we share in small groups with. And you're probably tired of hearing me say that most people come to Christ because of relationships that they have with other believers. And so as we reach out to others in evangelism, as we find that we were brought to Christ through the help of friends, we do others a service and we serve the Lord better by using friendships to reach out to others, by sharing our relationship with God in the context of our relationships with friends. Friendship has a redemptive quality to it. It makes life more enjoyable. It makes loss more bearable. Whether it be the loss of life, the loss of health, the loss of stuff in our lives. Friendship makes loss more bearable. But Friendship also makes love more durable. When a love that we have develops into a great friendship, it's more likely to last. Whether it be a natural love that we have to family, where we we have a sense of duty and honor in that love, as we develop as friends, that love has a greater potentiality of lasting through more. It was friendship that provided the opportunity for strength and growth in the early church. The text tells us very plainly, they shared life together and the Lord added to their number daily. Their community, their koinonia, the fellowship that they had with one another, the the togetherness, the sharing of life that they had together, their friendship, if you will, was not an afterthought. It was the whole context in which God was working in their midst. It was because of their friendships with one another that they met daily in the temple. It was because of their friendships that they broke bread from house to house. It was because of their friendships that they were able to turn the world upside down. Later on is the secular testimony of a political official. 
They've turned the world upside down and now they've come here. Friendship provided the opportunity for strength and growth in the early church. But if you haven't yet recognized it in your own life, I'll underscore it this morning. Friendship requires something. Not just something, some things. What does friendship require? The first thing friendship requires is room. Space. We've got to have room in our lives for friends. That may sound may sound negative, but typically it is. We're far too busy and far too stressed, far too going to be able to make time and space for others. Friendship requires room or space, especially with regard to time and money. To maintain friendships, especially as we get older, it, it takes money. You've got to have things to do together. Otherwise, you don't want to bore each other. And so perhaps you uh, go out to dinner together or meet up for coffee. Or perhaps you go play golf together. It's a shame. Us adult friends, we don't do what we did as kids. When we were kids, if we had chores, what did you do? You did your chores together. Because it was a whole lot more fun to clean your friend's room than it was to clean your own room. But the, the, the neat thing about that is it was much more fun for them to help you clean your room than it was for them to clean their own room. And so you had that mutual, you scratch my back, I scratch yours type relationship that worked out so beautifully as kids. You know, like uh, uh, Forrest and, and Bubba from Forrest Gump. We'll lean against each other and you'll lean against my back and I'll lean against your back. That way we don't both, both have to sleep with our heads in the mud. You know, as adults, that would look like, hey, David, I got a lot of yard work to do. Do you mind coming over and help me? To which he would say, absolutely not. That's why I got rid of my yard. <laughs> but supposing he still had a yard it would it would be met with okay do you mind helping me pick up some limbs i'm going to be doing that for a few hours on saturday but typically that's not how how we share time together as friends as we grow up normally we get together and go to a play or go to a a, a, a symphony down in atlanta We have one another over for meals. Regardless of what that space in our time and our money looks like, friendships always require room. We've got to make room for friends. Friendships also require vulnerability. To make friends and to, ve- to develop friendships, we have to have a willingness to be rejected, to be hurt, to lose. As we grow up in life, we find a distaste that grows and grows for losing and hurting and being rejected. But friendships require Vulnerability. 
Because it's friends that can hurt you. Acquaintances rarely hurt you. They may make you mad. They may make you want to get even. But friendships can hurt. They can sting. Friendships also require patience. Now we read here in chapter 2 of Acts when you think, oh wow, 3,000 are saved and are baptized on Pentecost and hey, the Lord's adding to the church daily those who are being saved. What are you talking about patience, pastor? It seems like God's moving pretty quickly. Yes, He is. But the testimony throughout the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament epistles is that as those friendships and those relationships are growing, as they're being rooted together and as they're expanding throughout the greater Roman world, you have disciples needing to learn patience, needing to learn how to bear one another, needing to learn how to work with one another and sometimes endure one another. Because friendships require patience. Sometimes those friends don't do what we think they ought to do. And we've got to be patient. Sometimes they're not coming along like we think they ought. But we need to remember that our friendships are friendships. They are not pet projects. Friendships require patience. The best of friendships are friendships that are that are on the long haul. That have been developing slowly and surely and richly for quite some time. And so I have a threefold challenge to all of us. Myself being very much included. The first part of my challenge is be the friend you want to have. Lindsay always says, to have a friend, you have to be a friend. If you want to have good friends, you have to be a good friend. Be the friend you want to have. You want someone who's willing to drop everything in a moment of crisis? You've got to be willing to drop everything in the moment of crisis. You want a friend who is willing to get together for coffee because you just need to talk? How about picking up on those signs that your friend just needs to talk over a cup of coffee? And making the suggestion. Let's get together. Sounds like you need to get away from the kids. Sounds like you need to get away from work a little bit. Sounds like you need to talk. Again, friends are not pet projects. They're two-way streets. So we're, we're not playing counselor or therapist with our friends. We're playing friends. We're spending time together. We're being the friend that we want to have. The golden rule is the golden rule for a reason. It's 
stood the test of time. Jesus saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now normally, we use that in a type of disciplinary setting. You know, you've just punched somebody and I'm telling you, you ought not punch people, Bill. It doesn't go over well. It's hard to make friends that way. But divorce, divorce that, that, that adage away from something bad happening and it still remains true. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do good to others. Care for others. Look out for others. Check in on others. Look around you at who's not here. And instead of going and finding somebody that you think might know why they're not here, pick up the phone and call them. Shoot a quick email. Send a text. Be the friend you want to have. I'll tell you what, when... Uh, when you're not feeling well, you may not want to answer 10 phone calls, but knowing that 10 folks have called to see how you're doing is a lot better. It's a lot more encouraging. It's a lot better to the heart and to the soul than one person saying, hey, everybody's been asking me how you're doing, so I'm the only phone call you're going to get. How are you doing? I'll let everybody else know. Now, it's good to let everybody else know how, you know, how a mutual friend's doing, but be the friend you want to have. The second part of my challenge to all of us, again, myself included, is maintain your friendships with meals. Now, this may seem silly, but it is shocking how often Food and friendship are spoken of together in the Scriptures. It's constant. I was just running some word searches this week. Friends, and you know, hundreds of times it's popping up in the Scriptures, and most of them, it seemed, had something to do with food. I've mentioned to you before, one of the most terrible things in life is eating a meal by yourself. I'm, I'm a pretty sociable guy. I like to be around other people. And I'm telling you, eating a meal by yourself, it's, it's not fun for me. Maintain your friendships with meals. That may sound archaic. It may sound like a throwback to a previous generation. But... To cook a home-cooked meal with friends or for friends, to have friends over, it does a lot for a friendship. It really does. I'm sorry for those of you who weren't invited, but there were a few families in the church yesterday and folks outside the church that got together yesterday for a home-cooked meal, and everybody pitched in. Everybody cooked something. Everybody brought something. I made perhaps the best refried beans you'll ever taste. Sorry if you didn't taste them. We'll have you over sometime for them. But meals together, especially in one another's homes, 
And especially when they're home cooked, they go a long way to maintaining and developing friendships. Around a table, we're able to laugh and talk like we aren't elsewhere. That's, that's why, you know, if I say, hey, we're going to have a fellowship, you know some food is going to be involved. You don't speak of a fellowship unless you're talking about food. Because food is fellowship. Now, we're ordering a box of pizza and, you know, watching the game together. Will that build fellowship? Absolutely. We'll getting together at Daily Grind for a cup of coffee or we'll getting together for a sandwich somewhere or, you know, a bowl of pasta somewhere. Will that help build friendship? Absolutely. Maintain your friendships with meals. It really is important. And then lastly, the third part of my challenge to all of us, myself very much included this morning, is ask Jesus to become a closer friend. That may seem elementary, but sometimes it's good to get back to basics. And those of us who have been Christians for so long and think, okay, you know, we've developed so much and we've grown this much and we're reading these books and we're doing these studies, we often forget the fact that Jesus wants, He doesn't want to be your homeboy. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be the greatest friend you can imagine. He is the friend you want to have. And interestingly enough, He invites us to a meal with Himself. He says, come on over to my house. Gather around my table. And enjoy a meal with me to celebrate this friendship that I've extended to you. We all ought to, before we prepare to receive communion together, and as we try to grow in Christ in this coming week and in the weeks that follow, we ought to all ask Jesus to become a closer friend. Lord, will you help me to open up more of my life to you? Will you help me to share more of myself with you? More of my days with you? Will you reveal yourself to me as a friend? A friend who sticks closer than a brother. Would you please, Lord, Let's pray.